Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of my radio show Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome! Welcome to Famous Dead People Podcast. Uh, Keep in mind that this is originally a radio show on Radio Free Brooklyn, so when you hear me say things on the show, like what time we air and stuff like that, that's the reason why. Uh, You're about to hear the episode where I interview John Lennon, played by comedian Rick Andrews and George Washington. Washington, played by comedian Kevin Cobbs. And if you like the show and you want to shoot us an email or you want to hear an interview with your favorite famous dead person, hit us up at famousdeadpeopleshow at gmail.com. We love hearing from fans and we'll try to get your favorite dead person on the show as soon as possible. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on iTunes. Rate us a rate us five stars. You know, you leave a comment, tell your friends about it, all that stuff. You know, you're going to be helping us out a ton. If you want to see my website, it's jarrettberenstein.com. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. But in the meantime, enjoy George Washington and John Lennon. Famous dead it's time. Famous dead time to start the show. Famous dead people. People you know. Famous dead people. Famous dead people. Famous stories stuck in the head. My first guest today on Famous Dead People is an English singer and songwriter who co-founded the Beatles, the most commercially successful band in the history of popular music. He died at the age of 40 on December 8th, 1980. Please welcome to the show, Mr. John Lennon. Thank you so much for being with us here today, John. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start with what, um, Uh with with, uh, your somewhat tumultuous childhood. You're born and raised... In Liverpool, England. That's you, right. That's right. You, you develop a, a reputation of being a troublemaker. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about those early years? Like, where did that reputation come from of you being a troublemaker? Yeah, well, you know, as a small child, I was picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. And I grew to resent the kids in my neighborhood. So I always wanted to grow and be stronger and bigger. And mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the, my musical career here today. I, I, I assumed we would get to it. I'd also love point. to talk about my protein shake that I have coming out. Um, it's called Max Gain Pro 4000. I'm sorry. And it's something that would... I, I wish I had had access to it as a child because mm-hmm. I was I was picked on. I was bullied. I was weak. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Do you mind if I just... Um, I just want to backpedal a little yeah, bit. You, sure, said you have certainly. a protein shake? That I do. I, it's called Max Gains 4000. Max Gains 4000. Max Gains 4000. Oh, yeah. No, you said I mean, Mark's Gains 4000. That's I, a I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. No. So, um, yeah, I guess... I mean, we can get to that sure. uh, in a little bit. My... Yeah. Um... So, all right. So, yeah. So you had like a reputation as a troublemaker. I was picked on, and then I turned into a little bit of a bully. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mostly um, uh, verbal insults. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, I would pick on other children, (laughs) and you know, pick out something that they seem to be self conscious about. Right. Okay. So, like for example, if you had huge teeth, Mm -hmm. I might say. You've got enormous teeth. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that seems like a very 1950s right. version of what a bully Absolutely. was. You know? But if things turned physical, I was always I was always the loser. Mm-hmm. Because with, of how small you were. Because of how small I was. And with Max Gaines 4,000, mm-hmm. I would have been able to really, really see the kinds of Had you been increases able to in muscle mass that I, that I would have wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you find that uh, acting out in this way was a way of, I don't know, expressing the kind of creativity that you would eventually express through your music? No. 
No. Oh, just, uh, all right, just pure, unadulterated childhood rage. So when you're 16, um, your mother buys you your first guitar, and That's you right. begin insisting that you're going to be famous. Where did that confidence come from? Um, from my ego. Okay. Um, you know, I, the, the second I touched the guitar, I just knew there was something here, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, first song I ever wrote um, uh, was uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper. Mm-hmm. I, um, do you know that song? I do know that song. I'm, I'm going to have to... That's the first to, first time I picked up the guitar. That's what I wrote. You wrote Sergeant Pepper? I sure did. You know, there's, there's a lot... In the in the Beatles record, I think that we are correcting right now mm-hmm. because, um, as far as everybody knows, that was not written until well into your career and might not even have been written it. by you. Maybe a lot of people think that that's a George mm-hmm. or a Paul. Or, yeah, but it's a me. Okay, and uh, I held on to it. I kept it in my back pocket. Okay, so um, you're a young man. You're 16 years old. You pick up your guitar. The first thing you do. I was a man. You were a man at 16. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Well, that's I had I lost my virginity already. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to hear about it? I, I mean, we don't particularly need to. Um, okay. Uh, unless I mean, you feel like it would be. There was a divorcee who ran a tea shop down the road from my home, mm-hmm. and she was always sweet on me, and I was always sweet on her. Okay. Her name was Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know I that hesit- song "Hey Jude." I, I do know that song "Hey Jude." I wrote it about her. Really? If you look at the lyrics closely, oh, it's about losing my virginity at the okay. sweet young age of fourteen. Uh, you know, this is it, it. Feels like it's not true, but I mean, we have you here, John Lennon, in the studio. So. I am saying it's true. All right. Um, so, you know, were there any experiences? I mean, obviously, you know, you pick up a guitar, you mm-hmm. write "Strawberry Fields." Is that? Correct? Is that what you said? The saying? first song? Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper was the first song you wrote. I don't okay. know what Strawberry Fields is. <laughs> <laughs> the, first thing, the first song that you write is uh, Sergeant Pepper's. That must have been uh, some indication of the the sort of like in, innate talent that you had possessed. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be a hit. And that's where you, and that's where that confidence came from, yeah. was uh, just being able to to basically jump right in with, uh, with both feet. When you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you know. There was something about the way the guitar vibrated in my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminded me of sweet, sweet Jude. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a year later, you would meet Paul McCartney and uh, ask him to join your band called The Quarrymen, which, of course, would later mm-hmm. develop into what were, would be the Beatles. I think we would have been more successful had we stayed The Quarrymen. Really? Yes. Uh, what? Because this, this actually leads into some of the questions that I'm going to ask later about the popularity of... The Beatles and how huge it was. Like, there wasn't even a word for how famous you guys were mm-hmm. at the time. You think it would have been even bigger. I think we just... were held back by the name. Really? The Beatles? Well, Paul really wanted it. Okay. And it's a dumb name. You think the, Be- the name of the Beatles is a dumb name? It's an animal. Well, I mean, and it's not even spelled correctly. Well, that's a pun, though. Like, it's, it's a play on words. The, the beat, as in, as in a beat in a song. Oh, this is the oh, first time. Oh, oh, oh this yeah, this is the first time that John I Lennon just got that. <laughs> oh my God, that's bloody brilliant! <laughs> All right, uh, so yeah, you asked John, you asked Paul McCartney to join the band. What was it about McCartney that interested in you? Made made you think that he would be a good addition to the Quarrymen? I liked I liked his hair. Okay, uh, I liked the way he walked. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the way he played drums, but I said, you're not going to play drums in this band. Okay. Well, I mean, I know that he's an extremely talented musician. I didn't know that he played drums back then. He did. Okay. Then the, and your interest in him was originally as a drummer. 
my interest in him was originally as as kind of a look and feel. You know, I was already mm. thinking, you know, what what's the what's the kind of uh, what's our brand? You know, oh, as okay. a band, and I thought it'll be you know kind of kind of sexy roguish. You mm-hmm. know, uh, so I felt like Paul had that. You know, okay. but not on the drums. <laughs> I'm flailing about like an idiot. <laughs> So, um, you know, speaking of the drums, people often talk about the band's previous drummer, Pete Best, who was, of course, later uh, replaced with Ringo Starr. Do you think the Beatles become as successful as they do with Pete Best instead of Ringo Starr? Absolutely. Really? Yes. Okay. So no no change whatsoever. Ringo didn't bring any magic. When to the I band look whatsoever. back, I'm, I'm having a hard time even rem- picturing Ringo. You don't remember what Ringo Starr looks like? I, I'm. I. It's either him or I, I, him and Pete Best would look similarly. I'm trying to re- I, I, picture I mean, them. As, as like far if, as you, I know, if you named an album, I don't know that I could tell you which one Ringo did and which one Pete did. Uh, well, just for future reference, I'll let you know. Uh, Pete did zero albums. Ringo did. That's all right. Hundred yes. percent of the albums <laughs> was Ringo Starr. There was a man who hung around a lot, mm-hmm. and he we, we, he would fetch us uh, coffee. Are uh, you about to ask me if that's Ringo Starr? Is if, that Ring? Would that no. be? No, Ringo was the one playing drums. Yeah, yeah, he would do that. And then also he would go out and get us coffee. And if I needed chocolate, I love dark chocolate. I mean, I believe you, John Lennon, if you say that in addition to playing the Max drums Gaines for the 4, Beatles. Max Gaines 4000 comes in a lot of different flavors. <laughs> we have a dark chocolate flavor. Which, Again, and an sir, acai berry. We will get to your dark protein shake acai. at the end of this interview. If you just give me a second. You can go to maxgaines4000.uk.gov. Okay. It's an official UK government website. Yeah, uh, We're selling them through the... UK government. I find that uh, very hard to believe, but you know I will believe you uh, if you insist. So for those of you who are just joining us, this is Famous Dead People, and we are speaking to Beatles co-founder John Legend. Uh, sorry, John Lennon. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that happens to you all the time, right? Yes, people often confuse me with John Legend. Mm-hmm. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your first year of popularity in the UK? There's like a solid year mm. of what people called Beatlemania in the UK before your historic performance on the Ed Sullivan show. So is there a point where you're like, you're, you're super famous in England, in, in all of, uh, in all of Britain. Do you feel like you ever have enough? Or are you just always striving for the next level of success? It's never enough. Never. It's never enough. Do you know how big England is? It's uh, it's pretty big. I mean, as far well, as I know, it's about the size of the it's, eastern. It's, it's the size of your state of Rhode Island. Okay. It's very small. Not that big. Not it's that very, big. very tiny. Yeah. And do you know how big London is? People think it's one of the biggest cities in the world. A lot smaller. It's than... the size of your uh, city, Pawtucket, Rhode Pawtucket. Island. <laughs> Just for a point of comparison, it's a very small. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest city in England, but it's not that big when not you think globally. I think it's funny that you think that we use as our standard of sizes just everything around Rhode Island. Just like what Rhode Island is, maybe the city's in Rhode Island. It's a great state. It's a pretty good state. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but you, you, you have that desire. You have that thirst we for more fame, more success, even as you are reaching uh, domination of your home country. You know that movie, The Social Network? I do know that I movie. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. You know when the guy says, you know what's, not, what's cooler than a million dollars? A billion, a billion dollars. dollars. Mm-hmm. I said that first. You said that as I did. the Beatles. Yes. I remember we were sitting around with a meeting. It was me, Paul, George, and... Um, the, uh, I think the name you're looking for is Ringo. Ringo was the drummer? Ringo, yes. Mm-hmm. He had just brought us some coffee. And <laughs> I said, we've just made a million dollars. Which in those days was basically a billion dollars. Yeah. And then I said, 
you know what's cool? A million dollars. But you know what's cooler? A billion dollars, which in were... those days was a trillion dollars. <laughs> what was the what were the other Beatles' reaction to what we you just said? We were all pretty high. <laughs> all right, so you know, in uh, in you know the 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 Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan mm-hmm. Show in 1964. That was so much fun. Was it fun? Yes. I mean, I think that's something that we all assumed was that it was really fun. We got laid so much. Are we going to talk about that? <laughs> we can if you want. I, I, it doesn't seem relevant to the conversation about the art of the Beatles and the history of the Beatles. But if it's something that you would like to talk about, John Lennon, I would love I will to happily give you that. that I would airtime. love to name the people I've slept with. <laughs> Do you, you remember them all by name? Absolutely. Uh, is it... I mean, let's not even dignify this. This is... Uh, I mean, that list could go on forever, I'm It assuming. could go on forever. Would you like to hear no, some of the highlights? <laughs> just, I tell you what. Give me five highlights. Five, five highlights. highlights. And is this just you specifically or are you talking about all the Beatles? This is me specifically. Okay, so this is a list of the five highlights of the... <laughs> Number women? one, women, women. I, I slept with at the height women of that, my fame. Okay, Cameron Diaz. That's okay. That is that is either disturbing or completely false because she, she wasn't was an even, adult. Wasn't even born yet. She was an adult. Was very. That's. She, uh, did you see here? And there's something about Mary. Easily provable that she was not alive during that time. Well. Well, she was she was a star. I was a star. She came back after the after the Ed Sullivan show. In fact, 1964, she came backstage. All right. She said, "I'm Cameron Diaz," and I said, "I loved you in the mask mm-hmm. so much." All right, let's move on to number two because this one's going off the rails. Oh, the the second person, mm-hmm. yeah, that I that I slept with, Nancy Kerrigan. All right, you know I'm just gonna cut the list off there because it doesn't seem right like after it. she won her gold medal. <laughs> She so, was still recovering. The she Beatles came back. The Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, and That's what right. follows are two years of touring and a level of global fame that literally has not existed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the first thing that happened to you and to the Beatles that made you guys realize like how huge you had become? We had our own plane, and we didn't even ask for it or pay <laughs> for it. So someone just gave you a plane. Someone just gave us a plane. We mm-hmm. went to the airport. We thought we were going to get on a, a regular plane. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, no, no. You Can you tell us? Your own do plane. you know who they is or just the people at the, the airport? Illuminati. The Illuminati. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't uh, say who's in it. <laughs> but you said the Illuminati gave you a plane. Yes. This is, um, I, don't, I hope you forgive the pun, but this is a really illuminating conversation that we're having here with uh, <laughs> John Lennon, co-founder of the Beatles. Um, so I'm not in the Illuminati. I just know some of them. You know some of them, and they. Well, loved... Cameron Diaz is in the Illuminati, mm-hmm. so I, I met, met Ugh, them I through. I really her. don't think that's possible. Uh, so, so you say that the, the Illuminati liked the Beatles so much they just gave you a plane. That's right. All right. Well, that everybody that is... liked the Beatles. So Incredible. Much. What was the? I mean, was there a specific thing that happened? Like in 1966, you famously said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. was there a specific incident? that made you think this, that, that, that brought that to your brain? Um, well, we had played a show on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and more people had come than had gone to church. How, you know how many people went to church that day? Mm-hmm. Was it just like in that town? or In all, in the whole world. So you knew how many people had been to church mm-hmm. in the world, and you knew that you had performed for more people that day. That's right. That seems unlikely. I mean, just... 
based it, on how many people are in the world. Well, we had we did a show. It was at uh, the old Shea Stadium, if you remember, mm-hmm. and we had over two billion people, mm-hmm. which in those days was two trillion Ugh, people. Does not seem come to the show. Also, not how inflation works. Um, so I read on your Wikipedia that your first experience with LSD, and you can either confirm or deny this. Confirmed. Uh, okay. <laughs> Your first experience was when a dentist friend mm-hmm. of yours invited you and George to dinner and spiked everybody's coffee at this dinner party with LSD in 1965. That's right. His name was Irving Denty. Irving Denty. They called him Denty the Dentist. Okay. This seems unlikely. He spiked your but... coffee with LSD. Mm-hmm. And right. he started drinking it, and I thought, there's something off about this coffee. <laughs> you could taste the LSD in it. Oh, it was a strong taste. Mm-hmm. It, uh... It has kind of like a like a mango guava flavor to it, which, mm-hmm. just as a random aside, is one of the flavors we're coming out with in 2017 from Max Gaines 4000. <laughs> uh, we're getting into the fruit smoothie game, and it'll still be packed with protein, but now you're getting some of your, your good vitamins and minerals that you need from, mm-hmm. that you would get from fruit. Fruits. Do you mind uh, walking me through this conversation? So, like, you, you're tasting this, this coffee, and yes. you're like, something weird about this coffee. And then the, this dentist friend, Irving... Irving Denty. Irving Denty. He says to you... He says, I put LSD in that coffee. Okay. And, and your reaction? I was like, why is this walrus talking to me? Ooh, it's already taken effect. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It kicks. People don't know this, but LSD kicks in after about 10 seconds. Really? Mm-hmm. It's oh. a very fast-acting drug. Mm-hmm. Never heard that before. It's absolutely true. Okay, so, have so, have so, you done LSD before? I have not done Well, then that. you wouldn't know. Well, no, that's true. I mean, I feel like I would have heard about it, though. Well... You're hearing about it now. <laughs> okay, so um, so, so I heard also that this dentist is like, listen, you guys are going to start tripping out pretty big. You should not leave this place. Mm-hmm. You should not leave this apartment. That's but right. you do. We do. We do. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about your experience as you're leaving? I mean, I know I read a little bit about, like, you go to a club and the club looks like, look, like it's on fire. I read that. We went to the club. It looked like mm-hmm. it was on fire. <laughs> okay, and anything else? That... Well, when we were at the club, I saw Ava Mendez mm, over at the bar, <sighs> and she came up to me, and she not, was like, John? Not possible. John Legend? And I said, no. No, because <laughs> you do get John confused Lennon. all the time. All right. And we made love. Okay. Well, she... In the club. Mm, I mean, is this number three on your list? I just want to make sure that we're taking She's those up. number five. Number four. Oh, so there's two even more impressive than that. Oh, oh, boy. All right. Once again, for those of you who are just joining us, this is Famous Dead People, and we're speaking to singer-songwriter and Beatles co-founder John Lennon. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the decision that you and the other Beatles made to stop touring and focus on studio-produced music? We felt like touring was getting boring. Really? It's a real snooze fest. Okay. You go to all these different places, you see all these people, you have sex with beautiful women, mm-hmm. you do a lot of drugs, yada, yada, yada. What we really wanted to focus on was to get as many instruments as possible into a single studio. Okay. So we we brought in didgeridoos, harpsichords, harps, chords, bongos, cardboard boxes with a little pot inside <laughs> so that you could hear the cardboard box but it have a metallic tin to it. Mm-hmm. Everything. You know that little slide whistle that little kids play with? Mm-hmm. We've incorporated that into our music. So when you were, you say you, you were trying to get as many instruments, as many instruments into the studio, into the as, studio possible, as possible and then play those instruments or we're just like packing them in? We wanted to fit them into the studio. Mm-hmm. And and you we didn't play them, but you could you could hear it in the mix. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So um, like, let's take another one of our, our very, very famous songs. Um, like, um, um, what's a song we wrote? This must be um, difficult because there's so live many. Live and let die. Live, oh, 
you know, I don't. I believe that was just Paul McCartney by himself. I don't think that that was a uh, a Beatles song. I'm pretty sure I was on mm, it. All right, if you say so. All right, so you know we're talking. So when the Beatles made "Live and Let Die," all right. Uh, so you know, there's the guitar and the bass mm-hmm. and the drums, and there's the strings. Mm-hmm. But did you also know there's a gem djembe in there? Mm-hmm. You can't, no one playing it, but it's in sitting in the studio. Mike, what, what, what is a djembe? Djembe is like an African drum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so you just had them in the studio. You had all these instruments in the studio. You all packed them. them in there. So uh, the sound is bouncing off of the instruments. Oh, okay. When I play the guitar, you, it hits the harpsichord, and you can hear it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even if there isn't a harpsichord player. No there. one is playing the harpsichord. Mm, fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, you guys stop touring. You start doing crazy amounts of LSD. Uh, so much so that people say that you are, quote, close to erasing your identity would you care to expand on that well we did so much lsd that it started to have a negative effect on our brain okay and some mornings i would wake up and i would think who am i mm-hmm. and i would go over into my bathroom and i would look in the mirror and i, I would say i'm john lennon mm-hmm. but it took a second <laughs> i mean were there other were there other elements of your personality that, that sort of like getting... I was angry. Mm-hmm. I did not treat those around me well. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother, Tom Lennon, sat me down. Mm. And he said, gotta, John, sorry, you're changing. I got to correct you for a second here, uh, Mr. Lennon. Uh, Every Tom... time I come back from shooting Reno 911, <laughs> you're different. You're a different man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, in 1967, uh, you and the rest of the Beatles attend a meditation seminar in Wales, then you eventually go to the ashram in India, mm-hmm. and I mean, you can hear the influence of that trip in the music that you guys produce later. Is that a fair connection that, to make? That's pretty fair. We incorporated yeah. a lot of whale sounds. Um, now, when I say Wales, I don't mean that you went to Wales. Like you didn't go to the 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 mammal that lives in the sea. We went to see Wales. a lot of whales. No, you went to Wales in the UK, right? Sure, but remember, <laughs> Wales is a very very tiny place. Mm-hmm. Wales is about. I would say about the size of East Providence. <laughs> have you been to East Providence? I have, and, and thank you for sticking with the theme of using things in uh, Rhode Island. I'm to... just using points of comparison that you no. yanks will understand. Yeah, of course. Um, so, so yeah, you use, you're using whale songs. You're using, you're using instruments that maybe would have been uh, uh, utilized in India, like around the ashram that you guys are studying and mm-hmm. meditating in. Um, what is it that leads you? To, is, do you think that that trip, that that time in India, that that meditation leads to your eventual activism and then branching out into like more experimental art forms? Yes. Okay. Well, very succinct. Number four answer. on the list. <laughs> oh, please don't. Please don't, John. Dwayne Lennon. the Rock Johnson. That is uh, very difficult to believe. <clears throat> now, Before he was a movie star, but mm-hmm. after he was a wrestling star. I'm sorry. So before he was a movie star, but after he was a wrestling star. Was, remember when he was just a wrestler? I mean, at least that tracks. At least that's, the, that's his chronology. Right. You know, I mean, he wasn't born yet. That it is was a crazy night. A matter of historical record. Um, so we there... were both out protesting a free Tibet. Mm-hmm. We were in favor of a free Tibet, obviously. Of course. And yes. things got heated, and we were passionate, and we went back to his uh, Tribeca loft and made mm. sweet, sweet love. All right. So getting uh, getting back on track here, there are two stories about how you met and eventually married conceptual artist Yoko Ono. Um, and I, I would love it if you would either confirm it or deny it. I believe it's Ono Yoko. Um, all right. Well, we can talk about that in a little bit. 
Um, so the first story is that she was preparing a, a, a conceptual art exhibit, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you met her while that was happening. And the second is that she approached McCartney about getting some of his um, manuscript, and, you, and he said no, but then he introduced the two of you. Mm-hmm. Can you say which of those stories is true or neither? Neither of those stories Okay, is so true. how is the actual meeting between you and, as you say, Ono Yoko? Ono Yoko. Ono Yoko. How is it that you two meet? Well, it was... Um... You know, it was uh, the winter of, I believe, 68. Mm, I mean, that's possible. That's when we met. That's at least physically possible. And we it was New Year's Eve, mm. and neither of us had a date. That's uh, a we, little bit hard to believe. We were in, we were at, uh, over at uh, Greg Smith's house. He was the most popular boy in school. Mm-hmm. And there was a big, uh, was a my back big New Year's Eve party. Greg Smith, the most popular boy in school? Yes. Like your... And like your all grateful. of senior year, I had not had a girlfriend. <laughs> and I knew Ono Yoko from class, but I had never spoken to her. And you know, Mr. As Lennon, midnight drew near, Mr. Lennon, I feel like you're mocking me a little bit. I feel like you're not kissed. taking this seriously. I am taking this very seriously. <laughs> this is the story of how I met my one true love, mm-hmm. Ono, ono Yoko. Yoko. Oh, boy. All right, so finally, you know, the day that you're killed. Um, you... Wait, what? <laughs> The day that you're killed. Who who killed me? Uh, there was a man named. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't know about this. Um, this man named Mark David Chapman. Oh. Uh, he. That guy was such a weirdo. He so he approaches. I you, remember him. He approaches you that day and he asks you to sign a copy of your album Double Fantasy. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. And so then he comes back later and shoots you. Did you not have a? Did you not have knowledge of that? Did you not no. know that happened? What a jerk. I know. I mean, what do you think about that now? Like, he I just didn't for... want to sign. I don't like that album, Double Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Not one of your favorites that you did with no. Ono Yoko? No. Ono Yoko, who you, you're insisting that that's her name. Ono it's Yoko. Ono, comma, Yoko. All right. I mean, that's the way that you would list someone's first and last name, like, When we were in school and we, I Again, saw it listed on the class list. You did not meet... Yoko Ono in school. We, we did. Uh, I find that very difficult to believe. We met at Stuyvesant High School. Mm, again, not where you grew up. Not possible. And I don't think that she grew up. I believe she's she's from Japan. I can't believe that guy shot me. All right, well, back on track. What though. a jerk. Oh boy! All right, so so so, can you tell us a little bit about what you're thinking at the time? You know, like you you have you have you just, you just been shot by this person who's whose album you autographed. Like, what's going through your mind at this time? I, honestly, I don't remember much about it. I remember when he came up the first time, and mm-hmm. I thought, this guy's a weirdo. Okay. Were you I, I said that to him. I said, you're a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And I signed it. And, oh, you know what? It's coming back to me. Okay. He came in. I was very high. He came back, and we struggled for a bit. He pushed really? me down, and he was on top of me before he shot me. He <laughs> no was, one's ever heard this before. He was, yes, this is, he was pinning me down to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you can get me off of you, I'll let you live. And I pushed up, and I pushed as hard as I could, and my weak pectoral <laughs> muscles could not get Mark David Chapman off me. And at that point, that's when I thought, you know what? I need to bulk up. Ugh. I need to, to see the kinds of gains that I've been looking for. You know, Mr. Lennon, Max Gaines know... 4000 will give you that. Mm-hmm. It will give you the strength that... It's not a meal replacement, but it can be used as such. It, 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 it gave you... It, this, this protein shake, this protein powder, gives you the strength that you need that could have it saved ha- could you... It could have saved my life. ...from Mark David Chapman murdering you. If it only had the, 
the arm strength to push him off of your body. Yes. And this protein powder would give that to you. It would. It, yes, I would still. I can't believe he shot me. Mm-hmm. What a jerk. Yeah. Do you think that maybe when you call them a weirdo, like maybe that kind of like incensed Oh, him, I went you know? on and on and on. Yeah, I said, you're a big weirdo. Mm-hmm. You have a dumb face. Okay. I'm imagining um, he's trying to leave at this point. Oh, yeah. I followed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started yelling at him. Okay. I picked up a bottle, uh, a Sobe a Sobe bottle <laughs> off the street, and I threw it at him. Oh, man. I mean... I, I- said, taste the lizard, you <laughs> jerk. I suppose if I'm learning anything from this interview, it's that... Is is the the temporal and cyclical nature of time and time that the is things fluid. That, Time's things a flat that you circle, think my man. Exist at certain times don't because you have all these anachronistic experiences. Uh, John Lennon, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you um, so much for having me. Max Gains four thousand UK dot gov. Okay, make sure to check out John Lennon's protein <laughs> protein powder. Max Gains four thousand. Max Gains right? four thousand could have presented his uh, his assassination. Uh, thank you for being with us here. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll be talking to first president of the United States, George Washington. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes. And if you're so inclined, rate us five stars and leave a comment. That stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at FamousDeadPeopleShow at gmail.com if you want a specific Famous Dead person on the show or if you have any comments or whatever. We love hearing from you guys. And lastly, if you really like this show and you want to send us some money to help keep us on the air, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash FamousDeadPeople and click on the Support This Show button. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jarrett Berenstein. We are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My next guest is the father of our country, commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, the very first president of the United States, and some might argue one of the people responsible for us being an independent nation today, founding father George Washington. President Washington, thank you so much for being with us here today. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's start with something a little bit controversial. So the story of the the cherry tree. You know, this is something that we learn as kids, yes. you know, growing up at school, that you that you got an axe as a present. You chop down the cherry tree. And then when your father confronts you about it, you say, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. Now, some historical records say this is a myth. Can you say, President Washington, can you definitively say whether or not this actually happened? Yes, I can, and it did happen. Okay. So I, my daddy got me an axe for, for my, you know, as a present. Mm-hmm. And I, then he left. He went to go to town to sell some goods or something. And I went out, and I was like, I want to just f- chop some chop some shit down okay and i went and i not i chopped down the tree and honestly i felt i felt like a dickhead after mm-hmm. that you felt pretty bad so i i fall i was like i could lie about it i could blame it on somebody in my family or mm-hmm. somebody in the town or say like some kind of critter gnawed at it and mm-hmm. it fell over but i thought nah i, I cannot tell a lie mm-hmm. I mean, and like but the thing is and this is the thing is i can tell a lie you mean that you're... I'm capable of telling a lie. Well, I think most humans are capable of telling well, a lie. I don't know. You tell me. I think some people can't, but okay. I, I can, but, but I you, chose not to. You chose not to. And this is something that people have talked about, and maybe like the origin of this story becoming so popular, that it's a a, 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 a reflection of your character, that even at such a young age, you were like, I can't tell a lie. 
Yeah, that's right. It, you know, I just, honestly, it's just about not wanting to feel like a dickhead. Mm-hmm. And I think I took that going forward. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of times where I was like, do I want to be run by Britain? And mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'll, f- I'll feel like a dickhead. If, uh, if, if you are, you know, still a colony for, yeah. uh, for England. And it, it kinda, that's kind of my motto in life. Like, I'm not a dickhead. I'm not a dickhead. That's your motto? And I don't want to feel like one. All right. I think that's fair. I think it's commendable. Um, so many people will remember that as a teenager, when you're 16 years old, um, uh, I found this as I was reaching, researching for your interview. You, you're 16 years old. You copy out the 110 rules of civility and decent behavior that were written by Francis Hawkins. This uh, this is ringing a bell, right? Correct, President Washington. Oh hell yeah! yeah okay. Frankie Hawks. That's what, what I uh, call him. What was the what was the impetus for this move? Like you know, you 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 have this this book, this 110 rules of civility and decent behavior, and you decide that you're going to write it out all by hand. Where did that where did that inspiration come from? Well, I was reading it and I was like, it was all clicking with me. And then I got to rule number 63, and I was like, yeah, this, yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was t- it just. All of a sudden, it all just locked into place. Okay. And what was Rule 63 for you? Number 63 was, uh, you know, buy a skateboard. Mm, I, and I bought a skateboard, and I, I was like, I, you gotta, you got to buy a skateboard. That was one of the rules, that was 110 rule. rules of civility and decent behavior? Yeah. Buy a skateboard? Yeah. Do you mind telling us a couple other of the uh, rules of civility and decent behavior? Yeah, rule number 70. Okay. If, if you go to a bar... Buy everybody a drink in the bar. Really? Yeah. I mean, that sounds expensive. Oh, it is, baby. And also, um, it seems like there would be way more, way too much booze then for people to consume. Like if the, you know, if five people are in a bar, like everybody could buy each other uh, a drink, and that would that'd be five drinks. You know, but if there were ten or twenty people, that's too many drinks for everybody. Uh, well, in an ideal world, that would be the case, but mm-hmm. you know. And unfortunately, not everyone has read the book, so a lot That's of people true. don't buy everyone drinks. Yeah, it's every, usually not like is. one or two cool-ass dudes or dudettes <laughs> buying everyone drinks. All right, so um, this is something that I read, that one of the rules of, um, of, uh, of civility and decent behavior was show nothing to your friend that may affright him. Is that, some, is that one that you remember? Yeah, because I, I... And I learned this one the hard way. Mm-hmm. Before I bought the book, I... I had a pop-up book with spooky pictures and stuff on it, and I mm. showed it to my buddy Derek. Okay. And I was like, Derek, check this out. And I opened it, and he was so affrighted, he fell back in his chair and knocked his head, and he died. Really? He died from fright. Oh, my God. And technically, I killed him. I mean, you could say the author of the book killed him, but mm-hmm. I think it was my fault. Yeah. And I just think that's when that rule, I was like, I'm going to follow this rule. I'm mm. not going to give nobody a fright. I can imagine that this resonated with you as you're reading these, and maybe that was part of the inspiration for deciding to copy this all out by hand. Oh, yeah. I just, like, I, you know, enough enough times, you know, you, you break a rule, and you're like, these rules are important, and mm-hmm. I'm going to copy them down. Yeah. And I did that. I got my, uh, you know, I got this pen with a huge feather on it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. The, my little inkwell, and I, I did it. It took, like, a long-ass time because, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a while to write. It does take a long time to write, especially, I mean, in that method that was, you know, um, uh, so prevalent in the 1700s. Like, you didn't have the, the sort of technology, writing technology that we had available today. That's true. Yeah, we did. And, and you know, we just had that little inkwell and, uh, and the little pan that you dip it in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but when you dip the pen in, you're not actually dipping it in to get more ink. Mm-hmm. You're just dipping it in 
to just spritz some water everywhere. Just uh, hmm. it's just water in there, and you just gotta spritz it on yourself and on. Yeah, you really? just gotta cool off the room. That's what you're doing. There. I had no idea that that was part of that technology. Yeah, well, those those pans they got ink already in them. Really? Yeah, and oh, you man. can. They're little capsules you put in the back. We are learning a lot today. Now, so your first tour. Let's, let's skip ahead a little bit to your first tour with the armed services. Uh, you know, so you're fighting in the French and Indian War, 1753. Uh, you're fighting with the British against the French, and then years later, you ask the French for help in fighting the British. I mean, that's a little bit ironic, don't you think? Oh yeah, uh, that was a tough one to do. Mm-hmm. You know, having to go ask them for help, and yeah. I was like, I felt again. This is a time in my life where I felt like a dickhead because mm-hmm. you were even captured by the French during the uh, French and Indian skirmish, and yeah. so they probably recognized you at the time. Yeah, they did. They were like, "Hey, aren't you the guy that we like clobbered on for a long time when you were prisoner?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yes, guys, can I please have some help?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "God, I feel like a." Dickhead. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's and that's rule number one for George Washington. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. that even goes beyond the rule book that I copied. So mm-hmm. so now I mean this is um uh, I don't want to seem uh, argumentative. I don't want to be belligerent here. But then after the Revolutionary War, there's another war that breaks out between France and England, and you're president of the United States at this point, and you decide to stay out of it after France after France had helped America become an independent nation. You decide to sit out of this war and not help France. Is that not a dick move, President Washington? Well, you know, look, yeah, that's a dickhead move. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you know, it's also like my grandpappy was British, you know? Yeah, I mean, so much of so many of the people that composed America back then, you know, came from England. Everyone was an immigrant, basically, except for the Native Americans. Yeah, that's true. And it was like, man, I, I don't want to be a dickhead to the French, mm-hmm. but I also... I don't want to forget where I come from mm, and where, you know, my my grandpappy came from. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is Famous Dead People. We're speaking to first president of the United States, George Washington. Um, there was, of course, a pause between wars uh, from 1759 to 1774 where you lived with your family and grew tobacco in Mount Vernon, Virginia. Do you look back on that time fondly? You know, there's no, there was no fighting. There was no uh, conflict. You're, you're still part of the colonies, part of the English colonies. You know, is that, a, is that a warm time for you, President Washington? Oh, hell yeah. I loved growing tobacco and, you know, smoking it. Mm-hmm. Of course, back then we didn't know half of We didn't know it had any bad effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so like... It was awesome, and I thought we were making a co-product. Mm-hmm. And on the side, I was growing a little bit of weed. Oh, uh, were you? So you were growing cannabis at the same time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, hey, you know, there's uh, no narcs here, so you don't have to worry about that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was growing some weed, and I am getting high on it. Really? Yeah, man. That's why I wasn't fighting nobody, because I was high as hell. So, you, so your uh, assertion here is that... The reason why this period of peace existed yeah. is because you were high. So, so keyed up on weed, and you didn't want to, and you didn't want to fight anybody because you were high. Uh huh. So then, what? So then, what happens in uh, in 1774? Well, all good things must come to an end, and mm-hmm. so must my weed. I ran clean out of it, mm-hmm. and I was couldn't grow more. I was getting angry, aggro, mm-hmm. getting real. It's just like pissed off. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was displacing a lot of anger at a lot of people. I was not being cool. Mm-hmm. Not being cool. 
and kind of mm-hmm. lashing out. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is not cool. Mm-hmm. I need to go take out this aggression on thousands of people. Really? Yeah. So you're saying that the incident that started the Revolutionary War was you in a cannabis withdrawal rage. Yeah, I was cashed out, man. I was like, man, this thing's cashed. I got to go kill. I got to go kill a lot. Interesting. A lot. All right, and so in, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to skip ahead to the Revolutionary War just yet. So you know, you're, we're we're in uh, Mount Vernon, and in 1759, you marry your wife, uh, Martha Washington. Martha, um, baby, I love you. Now, I don't want to, um, I don't want to be too. Um, I hope this isn't a gotcha question, but um, there are some historical records that indicate that you may have been in love with somebody else at the time, a girl named Sally Fairfax. If you don't mind me asking, Mr. President. What was the nature of your relationship with Sally Fairfax? Damn, man. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to pull this kind of... I, I apologize. You feel free to refrain from answering if you... If no, hey, man, I didn't come here to tell lies. I came here to tell mm-hmm. my truth. Yeah, I and understand. my truth is, yeah, Sally, she was my side piece, man. Mm-hmm. And the, so, so the nature of your relationship was an extra... sexual... <laughs> Purely sexual. It was an extramarital affair. Oh. Yeah. Do you, I mean, are you filled with any remorse at that behavior? I mean, was it uh, was it something that you wish that you had not put on your wife at the time, Martha Washington? You know, man, another one of the rules from that big old book I copied, mm-hmm. no regrets. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's all that needs to be said on the subject. So let's jump ahead to the Revolutionary War. All right, you're leading all these different armies. You're you're losing battle after battle. You're barely keeping it together, and then it hits you to stage a surprise attack on Christmas, 1776, and you suddenly got your very first victory of the Revolutionary War. Here's my here's my question: Was it worth it? It was a sneak attack on Christmas. Is that not a dick move, President Washington? Um. Well, here's what you got to understand. Back then, Christmas wasn't that big a deal. Really? Yeah, back then, people were like, I mean, Christmas was like the equivalent of like, I don't know, like Labor Day. Okay, one of the lesser holidays. You get off work, but... Yeah, you get off work, but you Mm -hmm. ain't doing no commemorating, you know. You're just, you're boasting, you're mainly mainly just chilling. Mm -hmm. So, so, So you burst into this camp, there's no decorations, there's no... General dressed like Santa Claus or anything. No, like that. man, that's what they might have told people. But no, mm-hmm. we went in there. They was just like hanging out and like, you know, it was no biggie. Mm-hmm. It was just like, yeah, we surprised them, but it was like, I mean, they would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I tell people. I'm like, they would have done the same thing to us, man. So like, let's do it to them first. And mm-hmm. that ain't that ain't being a dickhead. That's mm-hmm. just being smart and being on your toes and having your head on a swivel, always knowing what to do next, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being a leader. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the tide doesn't fully turn for uh, the American army yet, for the Revolutionary Army yet. And there are some really difficult times for you and the troops during this war. Uh, maybe nothing as difficult as the, uh, the winter at Valley Forge. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about those six months at Valley Forge? Like, what was the hardest part? You know, I understand it was, it was one of the hardest parts for you. Yeah, well, here's the deal. We thought... I mean, this is the biggest, probably the biggest screw-up of my career because we thought we were going to Pigeon Forge. 
Um, Pigeon Forge? Pigeon Forge. We thought we were going to Dollywood, man. Is that a place in Dollywood? Pigeon, Pigeon Forge is the area around Dollywood, and that's mm-hmm. where we thought we was going. And I told like everybody, to, I was like, I'm follow sorry, me. I'd like to clarify a point that you guys thought you were going to Dollywood. Yes, sir. The the um, I'm sorry, theme park that is dedicated to Dolly Parton. Uh-huh. In 1776. Yeah. You thought that you were bringing your troops to Dollywood. Yes, sir. And you got caught in Valley Forge. Yeah. Wow. That must have been disappointing. Yeah, well, it's like I I felt like uh, I felt like a dumbass because I was mm-hmm. like, y'all follow me. I'm going to go. We're going to a cool place, okay? Everybody's tired of fighting. Follow me. We're going to go somewhere cool. Everybody's going to get to just relax and mm-hmm. just you know forget about everything for a while Mm -hmm. and then we went to valley forge and Mm -hmm. it sucked so the middle of winter yeah you're running out of supplies morale is low you know what was the hardest part i mean the hardest part was i guess being away from my beloved wife and my beloved side piece (laughs) and just freezing just freezing my Mm -hmm. my tits off can you say anything positive about that experience though about being stuck in Valley Forge during that terrible winter. I learned to play guitar. <laughs> I learned to play guitar. In you decided the... to take the downtime that you had at Valley Forge, in the Willow Valley Forge, to learn how to play guitar. Yeah, this, this dude who was in my in my group, you know, he like, he came from a very musical family, and he mm-hmm. like, he taught me, he taught me how to play the guitar and the lute. He, mm-hmm. had, he had a lute, so we was kicking it old school with the lute. Then mm-hmm. we jumped. Then we sometimes he'd play the lute. I played the guitar, and we'd like go back and forth. And mm-hmm. I got pretty good, man. Yeah, I got pretty good. Mm-hmm. So that was that was probably the bright spot of that time. I mean, it seems like that having a musical outlet does help with tumultuous times. I mean, uh, Mr. Lennon, like that was your experience as well, correct? That's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that that when you first got your guitar, that alleviated some of the stress of when you were growing up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, some of the things you played. Were there any uh, any tunes you enjoyed playing the guitar? Yeah. Uh, you Really Got Me by The Kinks. Oh, that's a great song. Calm down. You, so, you really got me now. <laughs> uh, once again, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is Famous Dead People. We're speaking to first president of the United States, George Washington, and uh, Beatles co-founder John Lennon. John Lennon. So let's uh, jump ahead to the end of the war. So it's 1783, and uh, you're saying goodbye to your troops at Francis Tavern. You resign as the commander of the army. Uh, was there any party that just wanted to, you know, continue to run the army and maybe make yourself king of America? It, honestly, yeah, that was there was part of me that wanted to be king of America, mm-hmm. but I, I knew that that wasn't going to be good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And plus, we were chilling at Francis Tavern, which is like right in the heart of everything, and you know, Lower Manhattan, you know. <laughs> So, I, I, honestly, it was short-sightedness on my part. I was just like, I want to get the fuck out of here. You were wanna... focused too much on just being at Francis Tavern. That particular night, I and... was focused <laughs> on the, being at Francis Tavern and having access to other cool downtown Manhattan hotspots. For, ex- for example? Well, at that time, let's see. So, there was Francis Tavern. There was uh, Jebediah Tavern. Mm-hmm. There was... Uh, Clint's Tavern. A lot of taverns. And then the W Hotel. The W Hotel. <laughs> that was there. 
that was there. A and wonderful. They have a wonderful rooftop bar. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. Like you don't gotta, you don't even gotta be staying there to just hop up on the rooftop bar. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Um, you know, so uh, so so you resigned from from leading the army. You know, at Francis Tavern. Uh, a few years later, you are unanimously elected to be the first president of the United States. It's a 1789. To to date, you are still the only unanimously elected president of the United States. How did you manage to garner that kind of support? Well, honestly, that was just a time when they just I just like knew most everybody. You mm-hmm. know, I knew pretty much everybody. They knew me, and it was like, who else was it going to be? Mm-hmm. It was going to be me, baby. And mm-hmm. I and I. You know, I did it. I, I can't really say, and I, it'll never happen again, sort of like John's records, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like... No one know, else can make records now. No one else can make records anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like... Well, not John Lennon's records, of course. No, not John not Lennon's any records, records, right? No, mm-hmm. uh-uh. Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, a little untrue, but... Um, uh, you know, do you think that um, you getting that kind of unanimous, unanimous support spoke to... Your abilities as a general, uh, your 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 just general leadership abilities. Yeah, I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when the gong gets tough, I just grab the bull by the horns and I say, "Follow me." Mm-hmm. And every now and then, it gets us in a pickle, like when we ended up going to Valley Forge instead of Pigeon Forge. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was bad. But other times, it works out great. Like the one time I was standing on a boat and I was like, "Yo, Lenny, take a picture." You mean uh, when you're crossing the Delaware? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the foresight. I love that photo. Thank you. That's sort of my main... <laughs> I love that photo. Thank you. That's I'm like sorry, my main I'm sorry. I just want to clarify thing. that photo of you crossing the Delaware. Yeah. That's you have a... the best Instagram account. <laughs> I, it's one t- of my favorites. Thank you. So I was just like, take a picture. This is going to be this is gonna be a bad... It's going to be badass. Mm-hmm. And it was. And it's like... I mean, that's kind of what all those men that were there that were fighting, they're sort of like... I mean, now they're like, you got us so many Insta followers with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Like people, that's sort of like a, an mm-hmm. iconic thing, sort of like John Lennon, you know, the picture where he's standing with the... It's like Ellen's selfie. I'm sorry, Ellen's right? selfie? She took, did she take that selfie when she was hosting the... She did the, during the Oscars. In the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want uh, to get too off track here. Um, let's go back to, you, you know, you're, you're the first president of this new nation, um, you know, what's the first thing that you're hoping to accomplish? You know, like you have so much support behind you uh, as the general of the Continental Army, as the only uh, un- unanimously elected uh, president of the United States. What, do you, what are you going to do with that power? Well, you know, I wanted to get all my buddies in and get them into – I wanted to – I wanted to hang in Philly was the mm-hmm. first thing. So I was like, let's go – Let's make Philly the capital. All right. So you wanted Philadelphia to be the capital. Yeah, States. I was like, Philly, let's do it. Okay. It already had the bell. It had the hall. So mm-hmm. I was like, let's do that. And, you know, uh, that was pretty much it. I wanted. I felt like Philly was a pretty good sports town and party city. <laughs> South Street. And so, South Street, baby. And so uh, what, what precipitated the, the decision to move it to Washington, D.C., then, the capital? Well... Everybody kind of, they were digging me, and they were like, hey, there's this city called Washington. Mm -hmm. Your name is Washington. So, wait, I'm sorry. So the the city already existed with your name? That wasn't named in your honor? No, that's a big misconception that people Mm -hmm. think it was named after me. Mm -hmm. I mean, we also have a Washington state. Did that exist before you as well, or was that named after you? 
Don't be an idiot. That was named after me. That was named after me. Oh, I apologize. Can I say I've I've had a similar experience? Mm -hmm. People often think that the Russian leader Lenin was named after me. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks that, And it's just a coincidence. Um, It's actually spelled differently. Yeah, I think everybody knows that, actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. I get that question all the time. Now, uh, Mr. President Washington, um, what I find, one of the things I find fascinating about your character is that you, you know, you're given this uh, office of the presidency, and you resign after eight years. You give up that power as well. And historians talk about how much moral fortitude you had that was... That, that gave you that ability to, to get power and, and then give it up when you, when you knew it would no longer be beneficial to the country. Uh, where, where did that kind of fortitude come from? Well, it came from the book. That was one of the rules of the book that I copied down. Uh, would you, I mean, would you mind stating the rule for us? A gentleman will not be president for more than eight years that of seems, this United States. That, that seems really unbelievable that this would be in a book that was written when you were that before you were 16 years old well you know it's more unbelievable mm. that fdr dickhead when <laughs> violated the rule you are you're upset at fdr for being president for more than eight years uh-huh mm-hmm. i ain't I'm, never gonna get over that one you're still pissed about it yeah mm-hmm. when, when when we were invited to the white house and met fdr he wouldn't even stand Le- up and this, shake uh, our hand. John Lennon. Oh, oh man. John Lennon. What the, the nerve of some people. That? Can mm. you believe that? Oh, boy. Now, I feel like we have a unique opportunity here because you not only are a founding father, but you knew the other founding fathers as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to work, like, with example, you know, um, you George, give, give me Jefferson. a name and I'll tell you. Thomas Jefferson. Uh, you tell me a name, I'll give you a one-word description of what they um, were like. Oh, oh so, so I can just name any founding father and you will give me a one-word description of what it was like to know them and to work with them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Punk. <laughs> Uh, Benjamin Franklin. My dude. <laughs> Just want to clarify that is one word about Benjamin Franklin. That's M apostrophe dude. My dude. All right. Uh, Alexander Hamilton. Musical. <laughs> I mean, it's the elephant in the room. It's what we're all thinking when we hear his name now. It's mm. like the musical, man. Yeah, that's right. And he would always talk about it, by the way. He'd always say, man, I hope they write a musical. Do you they might, put me in it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to clarify that point. Um, so you're saying that your relationship with Alexander Hamilton included him hoping that somebody would write a musical about him in the future. He'd tell me all the time we'd be, you know, we'd be deep in the cups, as they say. We're getting a little t- uh, little tipsy. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, man, I just love, I love the theater, and I want there to be a musical about me and, mm-hmm. like, all the stuff about me. And he was like, I'd really like it if they spewed all the facts out in a really rapid way. Mm -hmm. Before hip-hop, of course. So that's something that doesn't exist already, because so many things do exist already that I'm I'm shocked about, but rap does not exist. No, hip, no, come on, yeah, hip-hop didn't I hadn't been born yet. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, John Lennon, are you saying that you... Invented hip-hop? You invented hip-hop? I sure did. I would say if you look at some of our songs on Abbey Road, you'll find Mm -hmm. that... There's some rapping in there. Yeah, I mean, we would we wouldn't have called it that at the time, mm-hmm. but no, I had, I, you know, there was no word for it. There yet. was lots of rhyming. Mm-hmm. I mean, bang bang, Maxwell Silver Hammer. That's a mm-hmm. rat. That's a rat. That's a rat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it technically is. It feels like it's singing. It feels like that's a song. Uh, potato <laughs> tomato. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to uh, finish up here by talking a little bit about your legacy. Like, there's so many ways that we honor you in this country. You know, we have Mount Rushmore. 
uh, the Washington Monument, your face is on the dollar bill, our capital, which, I mean, I thought our capital was named after you. It turns out it was just named Washington, D.C. already. Um, is there anything in particular that you appreciate the most as an homage to you? I mean, the Washington Monument, because I was hung. <laughs> All right, all right, President Washington. Me, me too. Can I say? <laughs> me too. You can say, and I also like being on the dollar bill because mm-hmm. you know I love making it rain. Mm-hmm. That's uh, if I had to make an assumption about President Washington based on this interview, that but is what I would say. Outside of those two things, you mm-hmm. know, it's all an honor and a blessing because when I came, was set out to start this nation, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, I want. I want to start a great country for all men and all women mm-hmm. and every race and creed. And, you know, yeah, I I, I kind of goofed on that last one. But I, I knew it would, uh, you know, eventually we'd get it right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't yet, mm-hmm. but maybe someday. I mean, you're part of the architecture of that. Like, you know, you your influence on this country is... Is uh, is relevant? It is. It exists still today. You know, um, you know, uh, th- you know the the other presidents that you have with you on Mount Rushmore. You know, you have uh, uh, Roosevelt, who I know that you do Ooh. not think possibly on. Not a good man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I would I would disagree. I think that a lot of Americans would agree that FDR was one of our greatest presidents. You know, she stood up and shook my hand like mm-hmm. a real man. Is that the only problem that you have with FDR? Is that he didn't stand up? also didn't care for his mustache (laughs) (laughs) all right well that is it for this week's episode of famous dead people i'd like to thank my guests john lennon and george washington for joining us in the studio today Uh, i have one final question uh for the both of you it's a little bit weird but i like to end every show by asking my guests if they would like to plug a comedy show or a funny twitter account i know it's a little weird question but like uh john lennon do you have anything that you like to plug there's these two gentlemen in New York City, who do a show uh, Sundays at nine o'clock called Cornfeld and Andrews, which is a dumb, boring name. <laughs> it's hard to exactly describe why the show is good, mm-hmm. but boy, are they—they're fun and funny. I like that show. All right, and uh, it's at the Magnet Theater at the Magnet Theater, and President Washington. There's this dude who cracks my ass up on Twitter. Is mm-hmm. it's at Kevin Cobbs, K E V I N C O B B S. And uh, he tweets funny stuff, and then uh, he's got a website that you can just Google his name. And if you Google his name, it's going to come up. Uh, it's either a boxer or a comedian. Mm-hmm. And he's a comedian, and he's hoping to overtake that boxer and Google hits. And uh, he's mm-hmm. got shows. So Google him, find his website, and go to go to his shows. Right, we'll keep our fingers crossed to that. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask your favorite dead person, please email that to us at famousdeadpeopleshow at gmail.com. We'll try to have them on as soon as we can. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.